That is the Headmaster Ritual from the album Meet 
is Murder from the Power Pop Combo from Manchester, The Smiths. I'm David Eastall. This is The C86 Show. Welcome once again to another thrilling ride of life as I'll be bringing you songs you know, some you don't and some you should. As always, playing the finest in indie pop as we cross time, space and genre. This week's special guest is going to be the Catherine Wheel all the way from Great Yarmouth because I spoke and caught up with one-time member on the bass, David Halls. So I've got that interview that I'll break up into three, four, I don't know, easy to digest little segments for your delight as long alongside the usual award-worthy playlists. So we're going to get the party rolling with your favourite of mine. This is the Catherine Will and this is Crank. Super special 
Rock and Roll. That is the Catherine Will, and that's a track titled Crank that came from their 1993 album Chrome. Hello, this is David Eastall. This is the C86 Show, and this week's special guest is going to be David Hall's bass player with the Catherine Will, those legendary band, or that legendary band, all the way from Great Yarmouth and now scattered around the world. Anyway, I spoke to him a few weeks ago, months ago. Who knows? I'm not keeping count. But anyway, it was a great interview, he says. So you'll have to check that out. I know there is an interesting bit in it. So you need to pay attention because I will test you towards the end of the show. But for those who might be interested, I'll give you some admin because we love admin. You can contact me via Facebook or Twitter. Just go to at C86show. And also all these shows have been archived over two and a half years worth. Um, You can find them on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Mixcloud. Just go to C86show. They're all there and much, much more. But before we have the first part of that interview, I think we should have another track by the band. This is a John Peel session recorded on the 4th of May 1991, indeed, at Maid of L Studios. This is titled She's My Friend. You're gonna like it. Oh, 
Nice feedback, screaming. There you go. That is the Catherine Wheel with a track titled She's My Friend. That's from a John Peel session recorded in April 1991 at the Maid of Ale Studios, produced and engineered by Mike Robinson. So now you know. Anyway, this is David Esau. This is the C86 show, and this is going to be the first part of my interview with the bass player David Halls where we had been talking about the early years, especially life at the Norwich Arts Centre, the Wild Club, Barry Newman, and also supporting the Bardos, that legendary band from this area. But anyway, this is the uh, first part of the interview where I was asking and talking about a bit about the background of the band and where they literally came from. I wanted postcodes. He gave me slightly geographical areas on the East Coast. It could have been Yarmouth, it could have been Lowestoft, it could have been Goldstone. But anyway, this is David's reply. David, where were the band from exactly? Take it away. Well, so, well I'm originally from Lowestoft. So, my, I, well, actually, I was living in Kesselman. Um, Rob was in Alton Broad. Brian was in Goldstone. And Neil was in Great Yarmouth. So that we were, you know, all, all within a you know 15-mile radius, I guess, but... But the, how, how it came about was um, Brian and Rob had been playing in bands for a long time, and um, and and then they they knew Neil, so they they recruited Neil in, and I was I, I was playing guitar in a um, like a Joy Division tribute type type of band, <laughs> and. Um, and I, do, I don't know if you remember Andy's records. But, oh, yes, uh, yes. Andy's records in Lowestoft, I, I would go in there all the time. And um, there was a, an advert um, that bass player wanted um, into House of Love, Ride, Stone Roses. And I thought, uh, you know, I, I liked all those bands. I, I loved all those bands. And... Uh, so I, I called the number. It was uh, it was Rob had put had placed that ad, and um, we set up a time for rehearsal. And and I, I had I had a bass, and I'd been dabbling playing bass. So um, yeah, we we had a rehearsal, and he kind of said, you know, we'll let you know type of thing. And uh, like I don't know, two a couple of weeks later, they I got a call to say, you know, did I want to be the bass player and. I think they only had one other guy who who auditioned. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, that I mean, that's how. Obviously, there wasn't a name. What it wasn't, we weren't called Captain Wheel. That that came later on as we kept rehearsing. And uh, but that yeah, that's how the four of us um, got together. Yes, and this yeah, and this was at, and this was the, the very late eighties when you first. Yeah, eighty nine. Yeah, right. I think it was early eighty nine. Yeah. And your singer-guitarist, Rob Dickinson, is the cousin of Iron Maiden's Bruce Dickinson. So obviously there's a little bit of a DNA of rock and roll and heavy right. metal and stuff like that, I guess. Yes. Yeah, that, yeah that, and that, that is true. And um, yeah, very odd. Um, you, know, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, you know, I'm, we have connections with Iron Maiden, which is, um, you know, I, I wasn't a great Iron Maiden fan, <laughs> to be honest, but... But um, we, yeah, and, and you know, we, we, Bruce would come to, uh, when, when we eventually got gigging and playing in London, Bruce would, would come to our shows and, um, 
yeah, he he was very supportive and yeah, real and real nice guy. Yes, yeah, because I don't yeah. you know, having done a lot of these interviews with bands, mostly they have a five year narrative where they um, get together, they spend two years kind of making a sound, and eventually. I suppose in the the world that I've sort of been sort of more aware of, John Peel would give them a sort of airplay on the single, and then they'd get a John Peel session. Then that first album, and the second album was a bit tricky. And if they ever did America, that would often break most bands. So five years was the kind of you know lifespan of most indie bands of that kind of eighties decade. But how how long did it take for you to create a sound that that sort of meant that sort of felt that you know the band would go in places? It, well, it actually. It kind of snowballed pretty quickly. We um, so we we would rehearse on a uh, we found a rehearsal place in Raiden, which is uh, near Southwold, and in some 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 bloke's garage, we would just you know show up. He, that's what he did. He 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 used to rent it out to bands to um, to rehearse, and um, so we'd rehearse on a Sunday and and. You know, Brian and Rob, before the four of us really got together, they had kind of a, they'd been writing songs and um, demoing, and they, they pretty much had what what became the She's My Friend EP. They they had that pretty much down, and so they they had they had a definite idea of the, what sound they wanted. So, um, yeah, it, it it kind of got together pretty quick and Barry um, they, they, they'd sent Barry the a demo tape of what would become She's My Friend and he wanted to put it out as a 12 inch which was you know fantastic and yeah and, and we, so then on the basis of that we, we started playing around Norwich and um, and then it, I, I just used to love the, the the music papers at that time, Enemy, Melody Maker, Sounds, and and they they started or journalists would start coming and reviewing us and giving us good reviews and um yeah and then you mentioned John Peel he we we got told that he was planning on playing our single and I think I stayed up till about one o'clock in the morning to to listen and in in true John Peel style. He played the B side, which was, <laughs> I mean, I, I I just love John Peel, so um, so yeah, it it just kind of escalated pretty quick. Yes, absolutely, because um, yeah. obviously, yes, that you know the John Peel play and the John Peel. You also did a session as well, I think, quite early did. on, didn't you? Yes, yeah, that was, yeah, it, yeah, it, it, I think all within like a space of, I don't know. Once we'd established the name Catherine Wheel and the, the She's My Friend EP came out, I think, with, yeah, within the space of a year, we did the John Peel session. And um, I mean, and we, we had a we had a good management behind us, um, which helped, obviously, um, London, you know, London based management. Uh, so. And we, yeah, we, and with the, the with the good reviews in the music papers, it. Yeah, and then that's we did another indie single with Barry, and then you know then the major label started coming to see us and wanted to sign us, and that's how we ended up with um, Fontana. 
Yes. Well, it's in, well, it's interesting because I sort of realise, having done a lot of these interviews, is that there was quite an organic scene that had developed, but it was kind of completely crucial to the the kind of like the history or the the sort of journey of a band. You know, it was like getting together and making the sound. You know, John Peel, a John Peel play meant that, you know, the whole country and obviously Europe would hear it. So, you know, bands would then sort of get offered gigs around the place. And there was all these indie clubs around the country, you know, from Norwich to Bristol to Glasgow, mm-hmm. Manchester, Liverpool, you know, et cetera, et cetera, you know, and definitely in Leeds, um, London. Right. And, and you right. know, all those clubs would just kind of give, a, you know, those people a chance to play in front of a new audience and a different vibe. So, you know, and it's nothing like playing live to sort of develop your sort of talent and skill, so to speak, and also how to relate to an audience and not just an audience of people who know you, but complete strangers. So I didn't, you know, that, that kind of whole world of John Peel and the, being the gatekeeper was was such a critical and crucial factor to the, the the music scene. And obviously, you're you know with a lot of bands, you know they got into sort of indie labels. But you you know you went for a major. But that was after you'd signed with. When you mentioned Barry, this is Barry Newman, who was based at the Norwich Arts Centre at the Wild Club Records. So so obviously you'd gone from the Wild Club to Fontana Records in in basically. Uh, you know, a hiccup, really, didn't you? Right, right. Um, yeah, we, yeah, we did. The the second single we did with Barry was the Painful Thing EP, and um, NME made that the their single of the week, which was great. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, that you, you, I just can't underestimate that John Peel, um, what 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 he did for us, and what, what he did for you know pretty much any band that. He championed um, that I, I, you know, I, I used to listen to John Peel as a, you know, little as a kid. That you know, I was into the obviously I was into punk, and so John Peel was a big um, influence on me from when I was a, you know, t- eleven, twelve years old. So just to get played on on his show was a was amazing, and then just to to get the session, um, but and. Yeah, but, but again, Barry played such a, a big role with um, with us, and um, the the reason we went so after the two singles, we needed to put an album out, and I think it was at that time we decided it was best to to do that through a bit a bigger label. Like um, Wild Club didn't have the distribution. I I, I don't think they had the distribution that we really needed yeah but um but and, and actually creation um alan McG- we had an interview with alan mcgee he wanted to sign us um but we yeah just decided to go with um fontana indeed it's a tricky decision but you've got to make it anyway that's the first part of my interview with david hall's a bass player with the Catherine Wheel. Anyway, I've got more of that interview to come up, but I think we should break it up with a little bit more music. This is taken from the album Chrome. I obviously love that album, 1993. This is um, Kill Rhythm, the opening track, and it's a classic. Deep disguise 
Okay, they do like their feedback at the end of songs, don't they? Anyway, that is the Catherine Will with a track titled Kill Rhythm that came from their 1993 album Chrome. Hello, David Eastall here, the C86 Show. This is going to be the second part of my interview with David Halls where I was asking him another fascinating question. I know I had so many to ask him, and that was about... <laughs> I've never asked anybody else this question, but I did on this occasion. It was about the name of the band, and I was slightly curious if it had come from a pub that's based in Norwich, or the firework, firework, who knows? But I was curious and I wanted to know, so I asked him that question. It was very boring, but I had to get it off my chest. And this was David's response. David, where did the name of the band come from? It, no, it wasn't, it wasn't the pub, um, because I, I didn't even know about the We didn't know about the pub until afterwards. And um, we, I, This is how I remember it, and others may... Um, have a different memory, but um, I remember that Rob came, it was a summer Sunday afternoon, we're rehearsing and Rob walks in and he has, he had a bottle of water with him and then it had something from Catherine, I think it was like, I don't know, from um, a French town or Catherine something. And then um, Catherine Wheel came up, he, he suggested, then, you know, just, he he came up with the name Catherine Wheel, and um, he obviously the the firework, the medieval torture instrument. It's uh, you know a lot of connotations with it, but um, yeah, that that's how I remember. And I I know we were conscious of not wanting a one one syllable um, band name because there were so many around at that time, like you know Blur and Ride, Moose. So we we were conscious of not wanting to to go down that road. So so yeah. So Catherine Will, that's that's the way it went. That's, yeah, yeah. That, but that's how that's how I remember it. But. Yeah, because a lot of bands that are done in the which are the indie bands in the eighties. The like I said, most of them you know last five years and for various reasons finished. But one of those ideas isn't just the fact they've made no money or they've just got fed up with each other in the band. But it was also the musical scene would change. So with a lot of the 80s bands who'd started sort of 83, 84 time, when 
that they, you know suddenly the music scene had changed and there was the dance and you know the rave world happening so people like primal scream or the soup dragons the happy mondays they changed their sound and were able to sort of kind of ride on that next wave and then there was shoegaze and and so each each one of these would sort of knock out those kind of bands who suddenly felt like nobody was interested in unless they changed their style radically and then you had grunge and then you had a bit of shoe yeah like shoegazing and then brit pop so how did you feel that you fitted in during that time well we obviously we we were like like i said when um when when Rob put that advert in, he was, you know, they, they cited bands like House of Love, Rise, Stone Roses, and so we—that's the sound that we we were going for. Um, but we were conscious it was we're in Lowestoft, Great Yarmouth, and that the the scene that celebrates itself as the music journal, music uh, papers called it, was very much a, like a Camden. Um, scene blur and um, elastica and all, all those type of bands so we never felt part of that um, although musically we did but we didn't feel we were in, in that kind of a, that club so which we liked we we, we didn't want to be um, we, we we liked being like the the outsiders yeah but, um, yeah that we so for for uh, for Ferment, our first album, we we definitely wanted that kind of that sound, which you know the people called shoegazing. Um, but we never wanted to repeat ourselves. So doing that one album was was great, and people loved it. But we never wanted to to do a part two of that. So. Um, and that and that that was that's why we well we lasted ten years I think because that's that was um, that was why because we didn't we always wanted to to keep moving on we didn't yes want to keep um, treading water with the uh, with the same kind kind of music yes but I just I, I sort of re- read a review. But the Pitchfork ranked the album number 23 on its list of the 50 best shoe gaze albums of all time, which must be quite amazing to sort of think, well, yeah. way to go. Yeah, yeah, it was, I mean, we, yeah, when I went, I mean, it's what, 25 years ago now or something, something yes. like that. It's, uh, it's definitely lasted the, the test of, test of time i think and and yeah when i see um you know the top 10 or to whatever top 50 um and we we make it um yeah it's, it's definitely uh uh it's a good feeling yes absolutely uh, but just but... going back to john peel again when black metallic made the his i think number 15 in in his festive 50s in 1991 that was that was another great <laughs> great feeling yeah but you got again you know you, you did really catapult you know quite high you know you went to the sort of a-list of sort of the musical rock world because you suddenly on the second album you had the producer gil norton who obviously has a phenomenal cv and have worked with the best bands or the some of the best bands in the world so that what was it like to work with a another such a, a name producer well I mean, yeah, I'd love Gil. Um, 
I know we 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 all love the Pitsies, so um, knowing that he had done a lot of work with the Pitsies was was probably why we why we picked him. <laughs> um, yeah, he Tim Tim Freeze Green did the Ferment album, and um, Tim and Dill completely different um, people in how they approach um, producing. Um, Dill Dill is definitely a more, you know, get to the chorus type of producer, and and yeah, more hard rock. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I love working. I, I love working with both those guys. We we used Tim again, and we used um, Dill again. So that that shows we there was always like a, a yin and yang to Kath and Will, and that showed up with the two basically two producers that we used as well. Yes, but then you also, on your third album, and you'd managed to get through this tricky second album, and he was the producer again with Gil. So, right. And how was it going dynamically with the band? Because obviously, you know, when you're on that trip, there's not much time to uh, sit down and have a think or talk or discuss anything that you might be feeling needed to be discussed. I just wondered how you were dealing with the, uh, the world of rock and roll at that stage. Well, it was it was just like a, we were on a constant roller coaster. We were recording and then recording and then single album would come out and then we'd be on tour. We and it was a constant roller coaster. And um, you know, coming to the states was 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 great. I mean, we coming to the states. You know, you can't just come for. A, uh, a couple of weeks, you're you're here for, for like three months on tour. So it was it was just a whirlwind, and um, yeah, the first five years kind of just flew by. To be honest, um, yes, uh, and it had to be. It had to, I mean, Rob and Brian, they were the, the two um, main uh, songwriters. So you would have to talk to them about pressures of you know writing. New new material, whatever. I, um, but yeah, it, it, it was just it was a whirlwind. Um, but it, but we we it was an an, an very enjoyable whirlwind. We were yeah. That's the second part of my interview with David from the Catherine Mill talking about life in the band. I think we should break it there before we have more chat and play another track. This is taken from a, a compilation album that came out, I do believe, in the autumn of 1996, titled Like Cats and Dogs, which is kind of features a lot of their um, outtakes, B-sides, all that kind of exciting malarkey. But anyway, this is a cover of the Pink Floyd track, Wish You Were Here, which I think you will like. Anyway, turn up your stereos.
Indeed, I'm sure you do. That is the Catherine Wheel, their version of the Pink Floyd classic, Wish You Were Here. This is going to be the third part of my interview with David Halls from the band, where I was talking about the band's fourth studio album titled Adam and Eve. Yes, you guessed I was going to say Eve there. And this was going to be the... um, the last album to feature David on bass and I just asked him whether he knew this was going to be the case and this was his reply David what was that, your that, reply that would be my last one yes no uh, no no I I had no idea um and actually Adam and Eve is is, is my favorite album of ours um but so yeah that came out in 97 and uh I actually I actually worked on the the what out, the album that was going to be uh, became Wishville. Yes. Uh, which was what ninety nine. I actually flew back from the states, did some rehearsals with them because I, I was I was living in the states at that time, and uh, we I flew back and you know give me hey give me a call when we're going to do the going to the studio and uh, I never got that call. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, Adam and Eve was my, my last appearance and um, but yes. that, yeah, that, that's my favourite album. 
Yeah, well, absolutely. And so why, what was the reasoning for you? Because actually I, I sort of never come across the person who had been so part of a band and then suddenly didn't seem to be part of a band. So what was the kind of the reasoning be, before, behind that? Uh, again, you would have to, to talk to Rob or Brian because I, I never... So I, I never heard from any of the band. Um, I did the manager. Our manager called me up, and I, I think uh, we'd been, you know, we'd been ten, together ten years. It's a long time in a band, as, as you know. Um, and each album had done better than the previous one uh, up until Adam and Eve. That kind of plateaued. In regards to sales and yes. uh, and I, I just from my perspective, I think Rob maybe thought that the band it, it was frustrating that we didn't have that you know one like big big hit um, and we were we were kind of plateauing treading water and I think he he just wanted to switch something up and. Like I say, you, you you would have to talk to him, but this is only my perspective. Yeah. Uh, so he, I guess he wanted, say he, I shouldn't, maybe shouldn't put it all on him. Maybe it was a band um, thing, but maybe they thought that they just wanted uh, a, a new lease of life in some department. And uh, and we, we, I guess we, you know, with the distance, me living in the States, they were back in England. There was that, that gap. Um but musically, and maybe we weren't we weren't on the same wavelength musically. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that that was that that's how I you know left the band, and they they did Wishville, and which I guess wasn't a success by any means, and. Um, and yeah, and then and then here we are. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, so was that the, was that the last you know your last musical moment with Catherine? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Adam and Eve was my my, my last recording, and uh, we, I think the last gig I ever did with them was we played in I think it was a festival in Belgium, I believe, and um, yeah, and that time that time they. they they said, well, we're going to take some time off before writing the next album. So I, I was probably in the States two or three months before I got the phone call to say, hey, come over. We've got some songs. And um, which I did. And somewhere along the line, I think they decided, well, well, I think they played between Rob and Brian. They played the bass themselves on Bushville. <clears throat> um, so. So yeah, yeah, it was it, it was uh, kind of a re relief when I think back at it. It was not maybe relief is the wrong word, but it wasn't a total surprise, I guess, because um, it, it was it was. I think we we were all feeling a little frustration that we worked so hard for eight nine years and um, and we 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 just didn't ever you know break through like uh, we, we we never had our smells like teen spirit moment and and uh, and uh, at that time mercury our 
um, American label. They 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 were going through a lot of changes, and we got dropped by them. Um, then we eventually uh, we signed with Sony. Um, so th- th- yeah, there was there was a lot of uh, frustrations with the record companies and within within the band, I guess. Yeah. So. It is a tricky number. So does that mean that um, when you, you know, obviously somewhere between sort of landing, no, taking off and landing, you were no longer part of the band. Did that mean that you never had any more contact with the other members? I, so this is, this was what, 1999, 2000. I didn't hear from any of them until I think it was like 2008, I think. I got a, out of the blue. I got a um, message from Rob. Um, did I want to do a reunion? And I said yes. You know, <laughs> you know, I, cause I, I always my my only regret was that um, I not like you know I didn't have a chance to, to like say goodbye to the fans or whatever. Because um, we we did have a lot of dedicated fans, especially in the states, and um, so I, I would have liked to, you know, like done one final tour, and and so so I said yes, and then in the space of that that afternoon, I talked. Brian called me, Neil called me, because um, I I had no idea how the how the band had um, finished. Uh, I wasn't there when um, when they called it a day but um i guess so so brian, brian and neil they 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 said no i guess it didn't end particularly well between the three of them right um so so that that reunion never happened um but that, uh, but since then there was a maybe two or three years ago there was and more talk of getting back together um but I, I I don't think it's ever going to happen. No. And do you, um, yeah, and did you yourself, because obviously you'd been, you know, had a life in music, did you do anything musical after that? Or was that... I, did, I, did, I didn't play, I didn't play bass for a long, long time. I'd have a, an acoustic guitar, which I'd, I would, you know, just sit and strum my Leonard Cohen songs or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, and no, it was, it was kind of liberating in a way not to be in the band anymore. I mean, I, I'd had, before the band, I, you know, I, I had my nine to five job and, um, and I was married at the time and, you know, it was, it was just nice to be a homebody. Yes. Being in the band for 10 years, I never had that. We were, we were always either touring or in the studio so it, it was kind of just nice to be a um you know regular joe schmo and um yeah it's, it's like, i guess like coming out of the army or something back into civilian life <laughs> yeah well you know i think i sort of come to realize that it is quite a weird experience i suppose being in this kind of family sometimes it, it, yeah and it, it is like being in a marriage with four three four other people yeah uh, and i have to say we we were never that close 
as, as friends, I, I guess. I mean, we, we will, I think we always saw the band as like, uh, you know, a, a, it, this is our job. This is, we have to take this seriously. And um, we kind of didn't, never used to hang out with each other when we weren't doing anything. Um, so it's not like I was missing some good friends. It was, uh, it was, it was very, it was very a, a work. Um, definitely a, a working relationship. Yes. And did you, I mean, one thing that trips a lot of bands up <clears throat> is kind of dealing with the admin and that, you know, like the publishing and the ownership of music and then that kind of side of life. Cause often people don't have all, don't have time to think about it or don't really understand it because it is a bit of a murky world. Did you manage to sort of navigate that world okay? Or did it was it just one of those things that, you know, the songwriters got all the royalties and you just got a small fee? Well, we pretty much from, from day one, we had we had very good management. Um, Sanctuary... Uh, management uh, looked after us and we, we had our manager um we had our and with, with, within sanctuary was um uh um accountants and uh people you know very professional outfit um so we kind of left it in their hands to be honest yes um, uh and we would just come in for the meeting sign the papers and and uh, carry on we, we kind of just trusted trusted them and and and, and they, they I mean they, they did a great job so we, we didn't worry too much about the merchandising and publishing and and what, what have you um, they, they, they they took care of that yes and that, and so obviously you, you know on this story, Unlike a f quite a few people, just never saw a penny. You obviously did get, you know, paid, and you did sort of see the cash, which is obviously something that, um, yeah, a lot of people think. I, I, well, I, to be honest, we, we, Catherine will, well, certainly myself. I, I, I wasn't a, a main songwriter, so I don't. I, I get the occasional royalty check every, I don't know, couple of years. Yes. But nothing, nothing big by any means, but. Um, yeah, Rob and Brian, they were, they were the main songwriters. So, uh, but we, we paid ourselves um, X amount of pounds for, you know, for uh, a salary. Uh, but we, when we left Fontana, we kind of um, left them. We, we owed them quite a bit of money. And so I, I, I don't know, over the year, I don't know. I'm not sure how it all works, to be honest, but I'm sure over the years where sales or radio plays, they, I guess that whatever we owed them has been going down. <laughs> like <to> <laughs> yes, absolutely. And um, yeah, so what would you, I mean, just lastly, what would you say to your kind of an 18 year old self or what wished you, or including yourself, you know, what would you have said to, you know, to that person or wish somebody had told you when you were starting out? Well, I was, we were kind of, when Kath and Will started, I, I was 27, so we were all, we weren't the, these kind of spotty, 
17, 18 indie kids. <laughs> you know? um, so when I was 18, I was playing guitar in probably some horrible punk band or whatever, or, or like I was, you know, Joy Division tribute band type of thing. But if I, if I, I never even could imagine being in a band that did what we did. So I, if I could say anything to my 18 year old, I would say, you know, enjoy the ride. It's, it's a once in a lifetime thing. And that is the final part of my interview with David Halls, one-time bass player with the Catherine Wheel. And um, yes, big thank you for that. Anyway, that is the end of the show. Thank you ever so much for listening. I've been David Easter. If you want to contact me, you can via Facebook or Twitter. Just go to at C86show. And I think you can even follow me if you so want to on Instagram. Just go to C86show and I will be there. And like I said, all the shows have been archived and they're available on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Mixcloud, all of them basically. So anyway, that is that. Have a great week. I'll leave you with another track from the band. And this is from his favourite album. This is the track titled Delicious.